listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Thank you for joining us again for this, the latest episode of Let the Bible Speak. This program seeks to live up to its title. It is our desire, very simply, to open up the Word of God, and that as we open up the Word of God, it would speak to your hearts. There is no more important thing that we hear from the Lord day by day. And we do thank you for joining with us week by week as we would seek to give instruction from the inerrant, infallible word of the living God. I want to continue in our studies in First Timothy today and we are looking at the words at the end of the first chapter. From verse 18, the word of God says, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. We're thankful for the Lord's word. Let's bow together in prayer as we come to consider the word of God today. Eternal God, our Father in heaven, we thank you again for this opportunity to consider the Word of God, to reflect and meditate upon inspired truth. We thank you, Lord, though these words were written hundreds of years ago, yet they are living and relevant to our souls today. So bless us, give us help, and give help, O Lord, in the hearing of the Word, and that we would hear and then do those things that are according to your truth. So bless the Word to every listener, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The last time we were together on this broadcast, we were looking at these words at the end of 1 Timothy chapter 1. And we noted that there were some individuals in view. There is Timothy. Timothy is seen in these verses. Timothy, of course, Paul is writing to him. Timothy is Paul's son in the faith. And Timothy is seen as a man walking in the purpose of God. He's walking in the will of of God, and he's under the charge of the Apostle Paul to, to continue and to continue to war a good warfare in his service of the King of Kings. There are two other individuals mentioned in the last verse. Their names are Hymenaeus and Alexander. Now, they are false teachers. We know that because of the words in 2 Timothy. Uh, but in our verse here in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and the verse number 20, we read of Hymenaeus and Alexander, who have been delivered by Paul unto Satan, with the purpose that they would learn not to blaspheme. What we understand from these words is that Paul has brought church discipline upon these men, these men who are teaching falsehood, and as they taught falsehood under the guise of the truth of God, they were therefore guilty of blaspheming the name of God, of taking God's name in vain. It reminds us again how important it is to be a faithful teacher of God's word. And that we must, must never allow ourselves to be duped by the evil one. Uh, that we would communicate falsehood under the guise of truth. 
And so Paul has uh, brought this charge to Timothy, and he's used Hymenaeus and Alexander to illustrate the importance of Timothy holding on to faith and a good conscience. There are two pictures used in these verses, the picture of war and the picture of sailing. Timothy is told to war a good warfare. Others are described as having made shipwreck. Hymenaeus and Alexander, they've made shipwreck because they have put away a good conscience concerning faith. These two images indicate that the Christian is to be a good soldier and a good sailor. And both of these pictures, they carry with them a sense of danger. There is peril involved in the Christian life, and the peril is real. It is that of losing your soul. Now, that does not mean, please understand, that does not mean that a true believer can be saved and lost. The work of the rebirth by the Spirit of God cannot be undone. None can snatch the child of God from the hand of the great shepherd. But at the same point, we understand in the word of God that not all those who profess to be the children of God are indeed truly the children of God. And so there are some, and they are living through a false profession. And to them, the word of God is very clear in its warnings that they may make shipwreck. And so Paul, here in 1 Timothy, and also the writer in Hebrews, emphasizes on several occasions the importance for the entire church to guard their hearts and to, if I use the words of Paul here, to hold faith and a good conscience. That's the focus of these verses. Paul is telling Timothy, you make sure that you hold on to faith and a good conscience. When we studied last time the matter of holding faith, we accept that there is some discussion here regarding the nature of the faith in view. Is Paul referring to Timothy's personal faith, or is he referring to the objective truth of the gospel? Well, I argued last time that I think the likely meaning is that Paul is encouraging Timothy to hold on to the objective truth of the gospel, that he would not fall away from the truth as to the nature of the gospel in Christ Jesus. We should seek to know the truth, to grow in the truth, and to hold on to the truth no matter what. That's an important means if we are to avoid destruction and shipwreck. But Paul also mentions the matter of the conscience. He tells to Timothy, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. And so some have jettisoned a good conscience, and in so doing they have made shipwreck unto their eternal destruction. It's a very serious matter before us today, the matter of our conscience. How are we to hold a good conscience? What is it to hold a good conscience? Well, let's look at that matter with some uh, time that remains. Well, let's look at that matter with the time that remains for us in this program. Paul's encouragement to Timothy is set alongside the casting away of the conscience of the false teachers. They've put away a good conscience and as a result they've made shipwreck. And that immediately helps us to think through what a good conscience is and what a good conscience does in our lives. A good conscience is like the rudder that guides the sailing ship, the rudder that gives direction. 
the rudder that's able to guide the ship away from the rocks and from danger and from other vessels. And if the rudder is jettisoned, well then, the, the ship is left to the mercy of the sea. And any sort of destruction could happen without any potential for protection. It is foolish to discard the rudder. And yet, as Paul says, the conscience acting as a rudder must be a good conscience. One Bible commentator says this, A good conscience must accompany that dynamic faith when we wage war on the spiritual plane. Shakespeare wrote, Conscience doth make cards of us all. The person who is a guilty, accusing conscience, is terribly handicapped in doing the Lord's work. He might be able to put on a good front and brazen things out for a while, but he has no real power because he does not deceive the Holy Spirit. End quote. What an important thing it is to have a good conscience. Those who are walking in this world with a defiled conscience, a guilty conscience, they are greatly handicapped in doing the Lord's work. So let me think with you for a time what the conscience is and how we have it revealed for us in the Word of God. First of all, let's think about the faculty of the conscience. Uh, There is very clear instruction in the Word of God regarding the conscience. Romans chapter 2 and the verse 15 refers to the Gentiles who do not have the scriptures of the Old Testament in their hands, but they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. The faculty of the conscience passes judgment on the self. Uh, The theologian Dr. Alan Cairns defines conscience in this way. It is the faculty of discerning between right and wrong according to the law written on the heart. Conscience is the inner voice that challenges us as we are about to do wrong, It is that sharp jag in the soul when we're contemplating uh, an action that is uh, not according to righteousness. Conscience is a universal commodity. Everyone has a conscience of sin. It's been implanted there by God. As Paul says in Romans 2.15, it is the law written in the heart. And whenever the Bible speaks of a law written, it's speaking of the moral law, the Ten Commandments, You remember how God wrote the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai with his own finger. And so the law is written in our conscience. But having acknowledged the fact that the conscience is universally um, possessed, uh, at the same point we should acknowledge that the conscience is affected by the fall into sin. Conscience is not infallible. It can falsely accuse and it can falsely excuse Oh yes, in its essence, it is that provoking voice that challenges us and keeps us away from wrong. But it can be weak, as we'll see. It can be defiled. It can be seared. And when you see these errors, we see that the conscience can indeed be marred by the fall. So let me just make a passing comment of caution you may be involved in a practice of sin at the present time and you may know, you may feel no guilt or no conscience. That does not mean that your actions are righteous. You can be falsely excusing yourself in your actions. 
Conscience is a precious commodity, but it must be a good conscience. And so you have the faculty of the conscience, but then in the second place, you have the formation of a good conscience. I've said already that the conscience universally possessed is in and of itself not infallible. And so it is our obligation to pursue to have a good conscience. The word good there speaks of something that is beneficial, but it also speaks of something that is morally good. And as such, a good conscience has a right understanding of what is right and what is wrong. And to that end, a good conscience will be founded upon the word of God. The conscience is not infallible, but the word of God is. We are to be guided by God and his word. A good conscience is a God-focused conscience. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2 and the verse 19, For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. What matters is how our conscience stands before God and how do we know what God thinks? Well, he's revealed his will in his word. We learn the will of God and we are to govern our lives according to the principles of God's word. And our consciences, they must be informed according to the word of God. As parents, we are to seek to bring the Bible to bear upon our children. We understand that as children continue to practice sin, that their conscience are dulled and we must continue to bring them back to the word of God. When they lie, we must tell them that they should not bear false witness according to the word of God. When they steal, we must tell them that they should and must not steal again according to the word of God. A good conscience is founded upon the word of God. There are some and they engage in all manner of sexual immorality. And over time, they find their conscience is being seared and they are not provoked in their conscience as to their wrongdoing. And we've got to bring them back to the word of God and tell them, no, the word of God says, thou shalt not. And whatever the sin may be, we are seeking to instruct their conscience according to the word of God. And so a good conscience that is founded upon the word of God is also then a good conscience that responds according to the will of God. A good conscience will produce a guilty feeling when God's law is broken. I think of John chapter 8, where it describes some there, and they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one. Now, these were the people who brought the woman who was caught in an act of adultery, and the Lord had provoked their conscience by challenging their own personal sin. And as they heard and were presented with the word of God, they were convicted by their own conscience. And thus the Christian will seek to live in a way that avoids that sense of guilt. We value that we feel guilty when we break the word of God. Paul, speaking to the council in Acts 23, says, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God. The next chapter he says, and herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offence toward God and toward men. A good conscience will respond properly when it is confronted with the word and the law of God. Conscience founded upon the word of God and a conscience that responds according to the will of God and that response is one of 
guilt when confronted with sin. But the good conscience in its formation will also seek cleansing by the blood of Christ. The conscience is working, I said, when we feel the guilt of sin. It's a tragedy when our hearts and our conscience are so dulled that we are told about sin and we laugh it off or pretend we're not guilty. A good conscience, quickened by the Lord, laments that sense of guilt and seeks for cleansing. It's a fearful thing if you're listening to my words today. It's a fearful thing if you can sin and feel no guilt. But praise God, God has given us a means whereby our consciences can be cleansed. Hebrews chapter 9, the verse 14 tells us, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Our hearts can be sprinkled from an evil conscience. Hebrews 10 verse 22, there is, there is cleansing for our guilty conscience found in the blood of Christ, that as we go to Christ, and his blood, we know our sins have been forgiven, and with our sins being forgiven, there is the removal of a guilty conscience. And a good conscience will run to Christ for that cleansing, the cleansing of the blood of Christ. And with that cleansing, there is then the release of the guilt of a conscience. That evil conscience is removed. Dead works, works that we do out of a dead heart, they defile our conscience, but the blood of Christ cleanses us. That's how a good conscience is formed. It's governed by the word of God. It responds to the word of God and it seeks cleansing by the blood of Christ. Have you a good conscience today? Do you find yourself listening to this program and you you know you're not right in the sight of God? You know even today you've been guilty of sins in thought and word and deed. Where where are you to find release from the guilt of this conscience? Well, I tell you, you'll find it at Calvary. You'll find it in the blood that had been shed by the Lamb of God because Christ's blood avails for sin. And the only way that we can know forgiveness before God is through the blood of Christ. And in that forgiveness, there is then in turn the blessing of a conscience that is at peace with God. So we have these thoughts of the faculty of a good conscience and the formation of a good conscience. Let me me think a little bit about the matter of the function of a good conscience. A saved conscience, a good conscience governed by the word of God is a gift from God to keep us from sin. So let me close with some directions. We all ought to seek to have our conscience governed only by the word of God. Not governed by man's ideas, but but governed by the truth revealed in the word of God. Titus chapter 1, Paul speaking to Titus says, Not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth, Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and their conscience is defiled. Note note a defiled conscience. And to deliver souls from a defiled conscience, Paul warns Titus that they would not give heed to commandments of men. The conscience can be weak, it can be overscrupulous. Some will say it's better to have a weak conscience 
than a, than a hardened conscience. Well, perhaps, but a, a weak conscience can be a denial of our freedom in Christ. Hence, if we are to live with a good conscience, it is important that the scriptures are used to govern our conscience. Govern our conscience regarding our life, our workplace, our church life, our family rules, so that when we feel the guilty conscience, we know that we're feeling that guilty conscience and it's a conscience that has been informed by the word of God. That means that the guilt we feel is properly placed. It's not manufactured guilt. It's, it's not guilt because of a violation of man's word, but it's a guilt because of sin. And that causes us, as we've seen, that causes the child of God to run to Christ and to trust in Christ alone for that cleansing and that forgiveness. So seek to have your conscience governed by the word of God. And to that end, we must study the word. What does the Bible say about work life? What does the Bible say about church life? What does the Bible say about the roles of husbands and wives and and parents? And when we're governed by the word of God, we, we want to know what the Bible says. And you know, the Bible is sufficient. It is sufficient to direct us in these things. So seek to have your conscience governed by the word of God. But also let me counsel you, earnestly counsel you, beware ignoring your conscience. Young or old, if you are saved by God's grace, if you have a newborn heart, your conscience will be a guide to keep you from the rocks of ruin on the seas of life. Don't ignore your conscience. It is the rudder to avoid shipwreck. Paul gives some very wise advice in Romans chapter 14. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. We... We ought to leave aside actions if we cannot do them with a good conscience. If we can't act in a certain area in faith, then we ought not to proceed. If there are doubts and questions regarding something we might watch on the television or or read or, or a conversation we may engage in, if there are doubts in our hearts, we are better to leave those things aside. A simple adage, if in doubt, leave it out. For the conscience can be seared. We read of the last days in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and the verse number 2. We'll see it later on in our studies. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the, in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. In the word seared there speaks speaks of something that is cauterized, whereby the nerve endings are rendered insensitive and they are hardened. A conscience that is seared is a conscience that does not properly respond to the law of God with that sense of guilt and conviction. What a blessing it was for David uh, when he's dealing, fleeing from Saul. His heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt, 1 Samuel 24, verse 5. David's heart smote him in 2 Samuel 24, in the verse 10, after he had numbered the people. And yet, tragically, we read nothing of David's heart smiting him when he overlooks the bathing quarters and begins the process of sinning with Bathsheba and murdering her husband. There, we read nothing of David's heart smiting him. The conscience is a good thing. That God has given us a conscience 
properly informed by the word of God, cleansed by the blood of Christ. Such a conscience is a blessing to keep us from pursuing sin and unrighteousness. This life is a life of danger. We are living as soldiers on a battlefield. We're living as sailors in the midst of the open seas. There's danger all around us. There are enemies, the world and the flesh and the devil. And for the child of God, we, we should value our conscience. Given to us by God. We have the conscience that is used by God to keep us away from falling. Well may Paul say to Timothy, Timothy, hold faith and a good conscience. And let me echo those words in your hearing today. If you're a child of God, do not, do not give up on the truth of the gospel and ensure to have that good conscience before God. And the old Puritans used to say that a good conscience is a soft pillow. And what a blessing it is to go to bed at night and to lie your head upon that pillow, confident that you have sought to do right before God. And in those areas that you've sinned, you find cleansing in Christ and his precious blood. Perhaps there's one listening to this program. And it's been a long time since you've last had a peaceful night's sleep. Your conscience is guilty. You're troubled. Oh, dear soul, you need to get to Christ today. You need to find in him all the sufficiency that you need to be forgiven of your sins. His perfect and precious blood can wash away your sins and give you that cleansed conscience. Oh, I urge you, seek the Lord today. Well, may God be pleased to bless his word in your hearing today. May God indeed speak to us in his truth. Let's close in a word of prayer. Eternal God, we pray you take your word. We ask, O Lord, that you would apply it to each and every listener. You know the position they find themselves in today. You know the trouble and the distress. You know those who have a guilty conscience. And we pray, O God, that you'd cause them to seek forgiveness, to turn from their sins, and to trust in Christ Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, that for those who are the children of God, we have that blessed assurance of a conscience cleansed from sin. Help us, Lord, to walk with thee today. Do us good and bless our souls in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.